through the parables of Jesus, we have looked at some of the parables, not all of them. When Jesus was on the earth in the Gospels, he taught these parables and stories. Some were true, some were illustrations that he would give. Uh, and he was trying to, whenever he would tell these stories, he was revealing who he was, why he came, the kingdom of God, who God is, and just um, different truths about the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so we have looked at these um, for some time, and we're going to end today talking about the Good Samaritan. Everybody familiar with that story? The Good Samaritan. Um, and it's interesting because this is actually a lead-in to the next couple of weeks where I'm going to do a couple of messages leading up to Easter called The Journey to the Cross. And so the Good Samaritan is going to lead up. And I, and I know you're probably sitting there thinking, how is that a story that leads us into the cross? And I'm going to tell you in a moment that it, it, it very much does. Uh, most of us are familiar with this parable. If you ask most people, the Good Samaritan, a lot of people, Again, whether they maybe have, uh, you know, grew up in church or maybe didn't, people have a working knowledge of, of the Good Samaritan. It's a very famous, one of the most famous parables that Jesus told, along with like, the prodigal son, is probably up there with one of the most profound stories. Jesus was an incredible storyteller. Again, more than just telling stories, he was revealing of why he came. And so, We've been taught a lot of times that this is a human interest or social justice story of doing good to others, right? We've been taught that a lot. That, there is an element of that. There, there is truth to that. But we're going to look a little deeper into this story. And as I have studied this, it has been just a, I mean, a breathtaking look at what Jesus was trying to say, some profound truths that were hidden in this story, again, what Jesus, the message that he was trying to convey when he would tell these stories, to point his listeners to a greater reality, a greater truth, again, who God is. And a lot of these people that he told stories, they had a working knowledge of God. Some of them were very religious, and they knew God, you know, you know up here, but the heart of it, they missed. Remember, Jesus would talk to the Pharisees and say that, you know, you, 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 you know your mind, but you have missed it with your heart. And so, in this story, we're going to again hear that he is, is telling this, the reality of his kingdom and why he came. And his audiences were all different, right? When he would tell stories, sometimes he would tell a parable, and it was just the disciples that were there. Sometimes it was broken and lost people. Sometimes it was the religious, and he was trying to point them that he was the Messiah to come. Somewhat was a mixture of different people, like we had in you know the prodigal son and the, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin. He has broken people, lost people, and he also has religious people sitting among them. So sometimes the groups were mixed. Some of these parables, they came out of a place that when religious people, Pharisees or other religious people, would come to him and say that they would try to test them. And they were trying to challenge him. They had a hard time thinking that this, who this guy is, and, and you know, they didn't recognize him as Messiah. Remember, he came as a servant. He didn't look like what they thought the Messiah should look like. And so, but he's very profound. He speaks with authority. And they're just trying to get their heads around this of who this guy is. Certainly, he can't be who he is saying that he is. And so they were angry at him. They saw him hanging out with sinners. And to them, their religion told them that you separate yourself from the broken and the lost. And 
then once they kind of achieve a moral standard, then they could become a part of your club. And Jesus was doing just the opposite. He taught with authority, and, and it just kind of messed them up. And so there were times when some of these people would come to Jesus and said that they were trying to test him. Never a good, never a good outcome for them. They always lost these debates. And the prodigal, I mean, uh, the Good Samaritan is one of those stories where we have a person that comes to him and asks him questions. So we're going to look at this parable, we're going to unpack it a little bit, and we're going to see what Jesus is trying to say. So let's go to Luke 10. We're going to stay on the first part of this, and we're going to kind of pause because we're going to give you some context. On one occasion, an expert in religious law. Okay, this is not just any old person. You understand that the reason why we're told this is an expert in religious law. This man would have also, he would have memorized the entire Old Testament. That's pretty amazing. All the Awana people are like, whoa. You're getting, you're, you're getting some awards for that. But they, this was, he was a legal expert, so he was a, he was a good Jew, a moral Jew. He was not a priest. He was not like a Levi, but he was a, he was a very strong Jewish um, person that understood the legal matters of the Old Testament law, and so he was an expert. He knew it backward and forward. And here's what it says. He, he stood up to test Jesus, and so when they would stand up, just to give you a little context, and we were, you know, the scripture, when it tells us something, it's important that we pay attention. There's nothing that's out of place, right? So, evidently, you have a room full of people where Jesus was speaking, and this man stands up, okay? This is a sign somewhat of respect, but it's also kind of almost a bit in that era a, a challenge to kind of almost a debate. I mean, if you've been keeping track of the political things we've been watching these debates, aren't they so nice and kind and crazy and... Uh, um, this would have been a move where this guy, this expert religious law, he stood up as somewhat of a respect to Jesus, but also as a, I'm challenging something about you. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you into a debate at this moment. So he stood up and tested to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, again, a lot of times when they would test him, they were trying to get him to contradict something of the law so they would have grounds to maybe arrest him. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? So then Jesus, this religious uh, legal expert, what does he say? What is written in the law? Jesus immediately goes after his expertise, right? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And so the man answered this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, and with all your mind. Sorry, got ahead. Deuteronomy 6.5. So he's given him the first foundation of all of the law and prophets, and then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus 19.18, and I have those lessons for you because he's giving him the two foundations, and we've all heard that, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And Jesus even said, all the law and prophets are summed up in these two commandments. And so they understood, this guy would have understood that. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And we're going to pause right there. Continue to give you a little context, okay? So you have this legal expert. 
He's saying, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? We don't know if he's legitimately speaking and says he's testing Jesus. Will Jesus veer off the law and go somewhere else? And Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? And so what Jesus is saying is that there's truth to the law. Jesus said of himself, I didn't come to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. Right? When, when, when Jesus would, would point to himself as the fulfillment of the law, remember back in the Old Testament days, they would sacrifice animals. Lambs would be sacrificed for the remission of sins, right? That was an old Testament. Jesus was called the Lamb of God. So he fulfilled all the light. He didn't get rid of it, but he fulfilled it. And so before we get to when Jesus tells the story, it's important that we know what's going on here. So this guy who's an expert in religious law, he just settled legal matters for the Jews. He started debating and testing Jesus, assuming that he knew more, wanting to back Jesus into a corner. And his, again, his questions, his questions seemed legitimate on the surface, but he wanted to try to see if he could make him contradict himself or contradict the law. And so Jesus answers to him in his own expertise. What's written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus is seeing through this guy's motive. He understands what this guy is doing. And so this guy, again, he, he quotes the two foundational tenets of the law, that everything flowed out of these principles, and then Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, you are right, and if you guys could weed through all of these laws that you have memorized and understand that it's not that complicated. Love God and love others. Everything flows out of that. But they love to make it so complicated. Remember when Jesus said, in Matthew 23, he said you put such heavy religious demands on people that you don't lift them. And he said you go out of your way making converts, but then you turn them into twice the sons of hell as you fall. Not very sweet, kind words to Christ to the religious people. He said you, you, you're making people go through all of this almost like spiritual poster to try to adhere to it. And basically, when you read adhere to it, then you comment folk really can. And he and so Jesus, I think when he rebuked them, I think his heart was for him. He had compassion on him, but he had, he had some righteous anger too. He said, you are making people try to follow a bunch of formulas to understand God and his kingdom, and you have missed it. And here he comes, and he's undoing kind of their pattern and their way of doing things. And so he thinks salvation isn't overcomplicated. And so he said, yes, do that and you will live. But notice that this guy doesn't humble himself. And he doesn't say something like this. Well, how can I do this since I'm an imperfect and sinful man? You'd think that that would be a legitimate, like, you know, if he's really looking for eternal life. How can I do that because I'm a sinful man? Instead, what does it say? It says he seeks to justify himself. Aren't we all guilty of that in some way or shape or form? Sometimes we try to justify our actions, justify our sinfulness. We make excuses for it. We say, well, yeah, I know it's wrong, but, and maybe like we do like the religious people, we compare ourselves to others. Yeah, I know, I know that's good, but I, you know, this and that, and I don't think God really cares if I, I don't think God really, I don't think it really matters that, that, that I'm doing this or that. I don't think God really cares that much, and we can justify it, and we try to justify ourselves because what we want to do is feel better about ourselves. Because here's the thing, why does he want to justify himself before Christ? He knew something was missing. 
Because when we peel back the layers of our lives, guys, and we don't allow Christ in full surrender, we will try to do it. We will justify and make excuses. We will call the shots. We will make the rules. But something down deep inside of us says this is right. And so then we can sometimes seek to feel better and to justify it. I want to, I want to feel okay with where I'm at. So this left an, an inroad to where Jesus would come at him. And so he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to do something not right with him. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? And he asked the same question. He said, what do I, what do, I do to inherit eternal life? Same question as this guy. And then Jesus says, you know, you know the commandments? Follow them. And the guy says, what? I followed the commandments since I was a little boy. In other words, I'm a good moral Jew. But we understand that he wasn't following them perfectly. Like he said, that, you know, almost like I've never broken a commandment. And so Jesus then, he doesn't even get into a debate with him about that. He says, go and tell all that you have to give us before you can follow me. Right? And this guy walked away sad because what had happened is he wanted to be the closest thing to him that would became his God. But why would he ask Jesus? He, he was a, if he was okay, if he was good and moral and followed the plan, that you would think that he would be okay, right? If he, there was something he knew was missing. Something was missing. And he wanted Jesus to justify it. He wanted Jesus to say, you're, you're a good moral Jew. That's all you need to do. Just be more moral and you're good to go. And Jesus didn't tell him that. Jesus said, you need to basically kill your idol. You need to stop justifying not walking in surrender. And so we have this exchange. This guy who's not very humble, he thinks he's got his life you know, covered pretty well because of his actions and again, not his heart. And Jesus would challenge the religious because your hearts are far from him. Yes, you can technically morally keep the law, but then you miss out on the heartbeat. You miss out on the surrender. You miss out on the purpose of what I called you to. You're going through the motions, but you've missed it. And again, they were looking for the Messiah. These guys were experts. Knew all the prophecies about Messiah. They knew Isaiah. They said he would come. They knew Micah 5-2. He would be born in Bethlehem. They knew all of these things. They memorized it. They used the Messiah sitting in front of them, and they missed him. So what is going on? There, there is something that happened to their hearts. They were going through the motions, and they missed. Because they have a preconceived idea of what the Messiah should look like. Be careful that you don't have a Jesus of your own making. It can get us into trouble. And so... The expected reply that he was looking for, because he goes on to say, um, what, what, in the exchange, Jesus said, do this and you will live. So speaking of the justified, he says, what? Well, then who is my neighbor? Again, trying to test you. Who's my neighbor? You know what he's looking for? He's looking for the understanding that you're in the right club. Your neighbor is all your Jewish friends, your Jewish family. All the people that look like you, act like you, live like you, those are your friends and your neighbors. And this guy would have said, okay, I do that. Thank you very much. You would have been like a virgin ruler. I've done that. Thank you, Jesus. I'll go on my way. 
And Jesus completely flips this whole thing upside down for them. And so yeah, that's what he's wanting to do because, again, they were separate from others. They looked down their noses at people that weren't like them. These Jews that weren't like them, they would keep them at his arm's length. They were broken. That's why they, they, they condemned Jesus for going to be friends of sinners. And it, so my neighbor is the people that I like. Isn't it easy to hang out with those that you just get along with? Isn't it easy just to herd yourself together with people that are like you, act like you? It's really uncomfortable when you get away from maybe that group and you go and you begin to befriend others who may not act like you, think like you. And I think that that is one of the biggest issues that the church has is that we can, we can turn it into a country club and miss out that we are called to be missional with Christ to go out among other people that are not like us. And so this guy says, who is my neighbor? And so in the story, Jesus reveals some amazing things that we're going to see today. Again, we've commonly heard this story as a, it's, that it's, a, it's about acting and being good to those who are broken and hurting. It's kind of this social justice thing. This is true. But a lot of times when Jesus would tell a story, again, he's revealing, he has dual meanings, and he is revealing something about himself, why he came in his kingdom. And so it is actually deeper than that. And so we're going to look at the story that Jesus tells after he's had it to get context of expert religious law. Who is my neighbor? So let's go. In reply, Jesus said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, thieves. They stripped him of his clothes to beat him and went away, leading him half dead. A priest happened to be up going down the road. So you can imagine here Jesus telling his expert religious law. Think about, all right, there's, there's more people in there, and so there's religious people. We don't have the full context of the crowd, but there are definitely religious people there, maybe some broken people there. So, all right, so everybody's talking along. Okay, this is a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's actually in the mountainous areas, and there, this is an area that could be known where it would be easy access to robbers and thieves to take advantage of people. So he's this guy who's beaten. Um, he's left half dead. A priest happens to be going down the same road. When he sees the man, he passes by the other side. But it. Then it says, so to a Levite, when he came to the place, he found passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. This would immediately have caused a collective gap in the room where Jesus was teaching. Like, oh, this is, he is, he is, he is pushing the limit here. And we'll get in a minute why that was true. So the Samaritan came, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Turns to the guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, he can't even say the word Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. 
At this moment, there was probably some in the room that wanted to throw stones at Jesus and talk him. They were angry, I can tell you. And so on the surface, we can conclude that Jesus was telling everyone to be like the Samaritan and not the other guy, right? However, he was revealing something greater, and they knew what he was getting at based on previous encounters with these people. He was revealing who he was and why he came. So this man came down from Jericho again. It's a 17-mile treacherous path. He was attacked by thieves. He was stripped, robbed, beaten, and left half dead. A priest comes by, and he finally passed to the other side of the road. The priest was the upper echelon on the religious ladder. A priest. Not everybody was a priest. I mean, priests were, when you look in the back of the old days, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And each people group would have a priest, kind of like a pastor of some sort that would make sacrifices on behalf of them to God. And so priests were up here. And so this priest comes by and he sees this man and he passes on the other side of the road. They were ceremonial experts. In some ways, it's legitimate that this guy would pass on the other side of the road, being that a priest could not come in contact with a dead person. He doesn't know if he's dead. He's half dead, so he's probably unconscious. He doesn't want to come in contact with blood because what he would be unclean, right? It would stain him. He couldn't be, and then he would. It was going to cost him something because if you back in those days, if you were deemed unclean, if you look at Levitical law, you would be cast out of the you know out of town for seven days until you were be ceremonially. And so in some ways, it's a legitimate thing that this, he doesn't go check, and he's thinking here, this is going to cost me too much. I don't have the time. If I touch this guy, I'm going to be outside town for seven days. I'm going to have to get ceremonial. I'm going to have to go through all the ceremonial washing. I'm going to have to go through all of that. And you know what? I, I don't have time for this. It's going to be costly. So he passes his body on the side of the road. And it's interesting that a Levite comes along after him. Now, the Levites, the Levites were the helpers of the temple. If you read again in Levitical law, the Levites helped the priests, right? They were, they were kind of like the laymen. They were kind of like the deacons. They were kind of, they would come alongside the priest and they would help him in his duties, get things ready for him, and they would come alongside him in the help of the temple. A lot of times, the Levites would travel with the priest. And we don't know if these guys do. We're not told that, but shortly after, we're told that after the priest comes along, this Levite comes along. Now, we don't understand. Again, we don't know if they're together, but perhaps he saw in the head, and he saw the priest, and he saw the priest walking the other side of the road. And so what does he do? He kind of does the same thing. He's following the priest's lead. Because he's been trained that you don't do that to be unclean. What is going on here? Religion kept these guys from getting dirty and offering help. It would have cost them something. They would have been ceremonially unclean for a time. And this Levite who sees this priest, he's been trained, he's been discipled. Do the same thing. 
Guys, people are watching us. We explain and we disciple by our actions. And when we steer clear from the hurting and the broken, people that will follow us and follow our example will do the very same thing. We disciple by more than what we say, it's what we do. And here you have two religious people, two church people, that because it's going to be costly, we can't touch this man. And let me give you a little context of what's going on here. Go to the next one. This is Matthew 12. Jesus is going on that place. He went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charge against Jesus, it's half in common. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Remember, so they are so technical in law, they forget that people are the point of the kingdom. He said to them, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Because this is like common sense. So the guy that with a shriveled hand, they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Technical law features. And Jesus says, he's calling out the hypocrisy. He says, you know, going along, if your sheep falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, you're not going to say, well, it's the Sabbath. I'm going to leave the sheep. He said, no, you get out. How much more valuable is that person than Jesus said? Jesus is saying, do you understand why I came? You guys are such technical law keepers. You're missing the heart that it's about that I came for people that God loves. Therefore, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he said to man, stretch out your hand, stretch out your hand, and completely restored, just as sound as the other. And you would think they would say, he is the son of God. He is the Whoa, what is their response? Pharisees went out and fought it, how do not kill him? I mean, is that not just shocking? And so Jesus in this whole thing that he's saying is Christian Levi goes by this guy and they leave him alone because it might cost him something and we don't do that. That's our technically law keeping, we don't we don't get ourselves dirty. So religion will not get dirty, will not defile itself, but walks on the other side of the road. How many times have we done that? That's why Jesus is telling the story that people have forgotten mercy and the heart of the law. And they were trying to test him and get him on the technicality. They wanted to charge him for working on the Sabbath and maybe even in this story. So this priest goes by, the Levite goes by. These people were, again, assistant helpers, and they would have been discipled by the, the priest and been trained by his example. So how are we treating others when they see what we do? That's why Jesus said to the people, He said, do what they say, but don't follow their ways. He talked about He pointed over to the religious people at one point and He said, do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. Because their hypocrisy is evident. So these two men, they represent the law. They represent religion. And what is Jesus saying? Religion and the law don't offer real help. It's incomplete. This would have been very offensive to the people there. That's what religious law Because what he's saying is your technicality, your religion, and your morality are actually not enough to help people. They fall short. It's incomplete. Then he says a Samaritan comes by. 
this would have been, I'm talking, offensive to the greatest level when Jesus mentioned the word Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews, the, 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 the hatred that Jews have to Samaritans, it goes back to the 12 tribes. Remember when they split, when the, when the, 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 the tribes of Israel were split, 10 tribes and 2 tribes. The northern tribes, they were, they were taken captive by Assyria at one time, and they began to intermarry with the Jews, and they had these people, all Samaritans, half Jews. The pure Jews hated them because they weren't like pure Jews. They were only partly Jews. They, they would never have considered them their neighbors. Never. In a, in, a, in a million years, they would have said, no way these people are not their neighbors. We hate them. Your neighbors are the pure Jews. Your neighbors are the people that live around you and they act like you. So they live with people to think moral things. That's your neighbor. They would call them heathen dogs. They would call them half-breeds. I mean, this is what they would do. They even, and I'm doing some research, they would even pray to God that if possible, they would not have to spend eternity with the Samaritans. You get a little bit of idea of how much they hated them? God, if it be possible, help us not to spend eternity with these people. That's a deep level of dysfunction. Hatred at a huge level. And so Jesus is painting the Samaritan as the hero of the story. He's the one who did something about the man who was laid He's the one that had mercy. And so he's telling this story. And so not only were they offended at the idea he mentioned that the good guy is a Samaritan, they were offended because, again, they knew what Jesus was trying to convey. And again, and I said this before, we often look at the parable of the story of Jesus telling us to do good to those who are broken and hurting, even if they aren't like us. And that is true, but he's saying something greater. I believe that he is saying that we are like the man laying on the side of the road like that. And I will get into it, and I, and I think that as he goes on and tells the story, we will see it come open, that we are all broken, that we are all lifeless without Christ, that in our sins, that we are left half-dead by who? The thief. What does Jesus say in John 10? He said, the thief, and interestingly enough, that in this parable, he said, this guy fell among thieves. And Jesus in John 10 says this about the enemy, that the enemy, the thief, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God has come to give you life. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give us life, and that we are the broken one. And I think what he's trying to say to this guy that's expert in religious thought, number one, first of all, you need to understand that you're broken without God. You are the broken one. Without Christ, we are dead in our sins. We've been assaulted by the enemy. And he wants to steal from us. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. We are that guy, and religion cannot save us. Morality cannot save us. The representation of the priest and the Levite that went along and talked on the other side, Jesus was saying, religion, your morality, your religion, all that stuff that you've memorized can't save you. It's okay that you memorize it, but you have forgotten it has not changed your heart. You can memorize the Bible from back to, back to front, but if it doesn't transform your life, all you have is head information and it is incomplete. Religion can't help you. We need a Savior who knows that. 
And I believe that Jesus is paying himself as the good Samaritan. Interestingly enough, I, I, and here's why I think that is clearly the first. John 8, he's having another debate and shootout with the religious. Listen to what he says. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. And he's challenging me. He's saying, I'm not giving you truth over and over. Which of you can simply accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens always to the words of God, but you don't listen because you're not, you don't belong to God. And this is offensive. The people retorted, what do they call him? You Samaritan devil. They were going after him. You Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And Jesus, and that's why they hated him. He was trying to reveal to these guys in John 8, I am the Messiah. You don't like it because I'm telling you the truth. I am the way to eternal life. You don't like it because it doesn't fit within your mode. It doesn't fit within your religious way of doing things. You don't like it. But I'm here. I am the Savior of the world. And they said, you Samaritan devil. And so then he tells this story in Luke that he is a good Samaritan. Interestingly enough. You Samaritan devil. This would have been the ultimate cut down. Because they had seen and they had heard, you know, one of the people that he ministered to was the woman at the well. Guess what? She was a Samaritan. And here's this Jewish man that goes to a Samaritan woman. This has all kinds of bad things that look, number one, men and women didn't normally have those kind of conversations, and especially a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. What does Jesus go to? He goes to the office of living water. He went to the broken, the hurting, downcast, and offended him. And that is us. The religious didn't realize they were lost, as we have looked at before. Remember when Jesus challenged them, when they said, your, your teacher, your teacher's a friend of sinners. Jesus said, I, I didn't call it, I, I'm calling sinners from sinners, not those who think they're righteous. And in this story, he said, you think you're righteous, but you're like the priest and the Levite. And really, you're the guy dead on the side of the road. And I'm, I'm here to save those who know that they need me. And so he deems himself as the good Samaritan. He's half free. He himself was fully God and fully man. He's the redeeming half free. Fully God, fully man. He came to become one of us so that he could reach us, so that he could rescue us, so that he could redeem us. Religion and good words won't help you. It is Jesus alone that responded to our sin and brokenness by doing something about it. Religion and morality passes the other side of the road. Jesus is the one that did something about it. Look at what the Good Samaritan does. When he saw him, it says he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he put he got two genera and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And here's where it looks good, and I'm going to close with this. If you don't think that Jesus is saying that he's the Good Samaritan, watch this, all right? What the Good Samaritan did, number one, he said he saw the man and he had pity and compassion on him. 
pity and compassion haunting me. Find my notes. Here we go. Jesus sees us and he loves us. Remember when he was looking at the lost people, he says that he saw them and he was moving compassion towards them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so this Samaritan said it had yet compassion. His compassion comes his action. He comes down to man's level. He enters into the brokenness and he bandages his wounds. Instead of running from him and saying, I don't want to touch that, Jesus enters into our brokenness. So what it says, Psalm 147.3, which is a messianic promise, he feels the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus says, he, you guys would have known the scripture. And Jesus said that this Samaritan, he comes and he has pity on him and he feels his wounds. Isaiah 53, what does it say about Jesus? He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He bore our shame, our sins, and sorrows. He comes down to where we're at. He gets on the level of the brokenness. Jesus comes into our world, and He knows that. He gets into the pit with us when religion and morality steer clear. All right, number two went to him and bandaging, bandaging his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Why did he use oil and wine? Oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, right? When they would administer oil. And then the wine, remember what Jesus said, this cup is my blood just for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And what did he do to heal his wounds? He poured oil and wine. The Holy Spirit and he himself was sacrificed. Jesus pointed to the sacrifice that he would make. It is only the sacrifice of Jesus, it's only His Holy Spirit that we can have His life and the cure for our brokenness and our sins. By His wounds we are healed. You see what Jesus is saying in this picture? If that's not good enough, that doesn't show you or prove to you. Let's look at number three. He brought him to an end and He took care of him. This is the picture of the church to care for the lost and the hurt of Jesus. heals them. He ministers them. That's the work of Christ. And He brings them to a place where this person can begin to take care of them. This is a picture of the church. To care for the lost and the hurting and to bring them help. Interesting. He gave the innkeeper to Genera. Do you know that that is the Old Testament? And these, the expert in religious law would have known this. It's the Old Testament equivalent of the cost of redeeming someone. Okay, are you guys not blown away like I am? What is Jesus saying here? He said, this guy, he, he, he takes him, he ministers to his wounds, he heals him, he brings him to a place where they can give him help, he gives him to Denarii. It's the cost of redemption that Jesus paid for the redemption. This guy is broken in his, right, you know, in his, in his sin and in his brokenness like us, and he cannot afford to pay the innkeeper. We have a debt we cannot pay. Only Jesus can pay that debt, and He has paid it. It is finished. Paid in full. Thank you. Redemption. There's redemption at work. Jesus paid for our sins. We can't pay for it. This man who is broken, He could not pay for it. And then listen to this. I love number four. The promise to return. Jesus says, Let's look after him. Let's tell him the story. And when I return, I'm coming back. 
when I return, I will pay you back the extra expense. Jesus will come back, and guess what? There's a reward for those in the church who are carrying on his business of healing the lost and reaching the lost. He was revealing that his mission was to seek and save the lost, to come down to our level. He came, he left heaven, he came among us, he climbed in the pit with us, he took on our sins, he bore our grief and our sorrows. When religion and morality were passed away, Jesus was the picture of the good Samaritan that would get on a level, take care of him, take him to a place where he could be cared for, paid the redemption, and say, I'm coming back again. And my reward is with me. They would have known what Jesus was getting at because they called him a Samaritan devil. His test of Jesus blew up in his own face and Jesus revealed who he was and why he came once again. Who was the neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? This guy, again, he can't even say Samaritan. He was the one who showed him mercy. And again, this is right in Jesus' name. If you're following me, you will do the work that I am doing. It's the one who did something about it. Religion, morality, good works aren't helping anyone, and they can't help us. There's only one who did something about sin and broken sin with Jesus. He became one of us, got down in our world, lived a life of sacrifice, became our perfect high priest. Interesting that there was a priest that passed by. Jesus is called our high priest, and it's the high priest that got down and did something about it. That our brokenness doesn't scare him away, our dirtiness doesn't scare him away. He comes into our world into the pit with us. Then in an act of love so great, he paid for our sin, was stripped, beaten, he was hung on the cross, took the place that we deserve, and he paid in full the payment that we couldn't afford. And then he said, I will return. Then he says to them, go and do likewise. You know this thing? The folks are suffering. Come and follow me. Go and do likewise. Come and follow me. Do what I did. I will, I will show you. And he's trying to call them out of their religiosity and call them into the heart of why he came. He can save the lost. And he invites us to join him in that place of ministering to those who need Christ so desperately. We stand